I'm Kevin Power, and this is Sascapes, the podcast featuring stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Episode 91 of the Saskapes Podcast. This episode is sponsored in part by Out Saskatoon. Out Saskatoon continues to build community for the LGBTQ2S people of all ages and backgrounds, providing peer support, counseling, education, and much more. You can learn more by visiting outsaskatoon.ca and by checking out their Facebook page. This episode is also sponsored by the great city of Saskatoon through the Downtown Saskatoon Grant Program. Visit dtnyxe.ca to read everything you need to know about activities, dining, events, shopping, well, essentially a great resource to discover why Saskatoon is an experience that won't disappoint. And of course, Sascapes is thrilled to have joined the Saskatchewan Podcast Network, which is yet another place you can find us, apart from every major podcasting app on the planet. This episode is a very special one for me, and a story I've wanted to do since Sascapes began in 2014. The LGBTQ2S community is a very important part of Saskatoon's culture, and the downtown core is no exception. In fact, it's downtown Saskatoon where the early days of the community began. And in 2019, I'm happy to report things have grown for the good. But this didn't happen on its own. In its infancy, gay culture in Saskatoon was very different. Mostly hidden, in fact. But the community blossomed due to trailblazers that led the way back in the early 1970s. And to be clear, this generation lived through some very hard times. Violence, shame, how AIDS ravished friends and families' lives. It's not easy to hear some of these stories. But I wanted to record these stories because they need to be heard. And for those generations who have come along since then and those still to come, you must not forget these elders. Take every moment you can to say thank you. And for those who still live in shame, fearful of coming out, please listen to this episode and know there are people ready to welcome and support you here in Saskatoon. And for the 55-plus crowd, you're welcome to Coffee Row at the Out Saskatoon offices in Saskatoon. You'll find the contact links in the show notes, and you'll hear some of my guests talk about what Coffee Row is all about. My three guests moved me. We laughed a lot. There were a few teary moments. But I'm humbled and grateful that you spent this time with me. Marilyn, Lindsay, and Jerry, thank you for all you've done for your bravery, strength, tenacity, and humor. The way I see it is, if it were not for the elders within the LGBT community um, passing on the information and the memories of all of the generations that have gone before the younger kids now to pave the way, it's kind of... 
our responsibility to keep those stories alive in a way, I think. That's my feeling. Um, because the previous generations were the generations that were really in the trenches, right? Just trying to get what we just assumed to be basic rights of dignity, um, the ability to actually be out without, you know, having your face pummeled in, um, to not, to live life lurking in the shadows, to have experienced the generation when AIDS was a death sentence. And what we admire about what the younger generation, how they get to live out now. The very fact we're sitting in a building like this, like out Saskatoon, I came here to go to university. All I knew of the LGBT community was you hung out down by the river. That's that's pretty under much under the cover of darkness. Under the cover of darkness, really, truly, that's that that's what I knew. And I mean, if somebody had said there's going to be a day when there's going to be a pride parade and there's going to be a flag raising ceremony, and that you might participate in, and that you might participate, total terror, yes, um, or better, total sheer abandonment of all self consciousness, um, that there'd be a headquarters. That there'd be a place to go, so I, I wanted that so bad. So like, when I was young, and so I went as far away as I could possibly go to come out. I went all the way to Australia to have my first sexual okay. experience with another man because I just I wanted to do it anonymously and so anonymously that no one would ever know in case it went badly. Or it wasn't what I was looking for. So why was that not not an option in Saskatoon? Well, at the time, I was actually living in Edmonton, which is an even bigger metropolitan area. Yeah. I just didn't feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that most of your young adult years, you didn't feel safe in Saskatoon? Yes. Well, I didn't live in Saskatoon until five years ago. Oh, okay. So but would you come here mm-hmm. before you were out? Mm-hmm. And what did that feel like? I, I was so deep in the closet, I was oblivious. Right. Right. Were there places, were you so deep in the closet that there weren't even places you were interested in checking out? Was there anything you were... There probably out? was. Like In hindsight, I know that there were clubs and community centers, but I just wasn't ready yet. Right. To explore that. Right. I remember as a, as a kid, I was a tween or a young teenager, there was an advertisement in the Star Phoenix that there was going to be a gay dance coming up. And I knew that I wanted to go to it, uh-huh. but I just knew it would be impossible. I mean, I was underage and didn't have a driver's license, didn't have a car. But my sister saw this ad in the Star Phoenix and read it out to our dad and they both laughed and cajoled over it, just thought it was hilarious that something like this would even exist. And to me, it was just another nail keeping my closet door shut. Right. A gay dance. Mm-hmm. Do you remember where they were holding it? No. Where did one hold something like it that? Was 
on the down low somewhere in yeah. Saskatoon. Yeah. And, yeah, and I should, uh, before we continue, I should get you to introduce yourself if you want to introduce yourself, if you want your names attached. It's Lindsay who's been talking. That's right. Until My now, name's Lindsay. Lindsay. And next to Lindsay, I have... Jerry. Jerry. Who and Marilyn. Will del- and Marilyn. Jerry will deliver half of his thoughts in French and the other half in English. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you, Jerry? What What was your What were your early memories like? Uh, you didn't grow up in Saskatoon, but when you would, when did you come to Saskatoon? For university. Okay. And uh, I was in the closet. Yeah. The only thing I knew about homosexuality is the half-hour program uh, on CBC back in the somewhere in the sixties. Is that every time the the camera went close to a, a gay person, it distorted. Really? It did a distortion thing, like that. And I'm sitting there and looking at it. Is that what I am? Is that what I am? Were they covering gay-themed stories then? It it was a a little half-hour program or a little one-song thing type of thing. That was was about all that Uh. saw on TV. But it was that that ugly distortion, Uh. you know, and... So it made me feel like I was distorted. So I came here, and I was certainly in the closet and afraid and feeling just really lost. I, I, but there was a fellow who uh, caught on to where I was coming from and that I was stuck in the closet, and he was very kind and very gentle and just... In through the friendship, Marcus Hall at university and all that sort of thing, and and eventually, I knew, and I needed to talk about it, and I knew that he was safe. How did you know he was safe? Because I just sort of began to sense mm-hmm. what was behind the the, the friendship. Yeah, just I get became, that. You know, and it just started to filter through. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and uh, my strong religious beliefs yeah. uh, started to get little holes in them. You know, it couldn't hold back the tide of what I really was. I hear you. Yeah. And on that point, I want to say that religion is still part of my spiritual program. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't cast the church aside. Mm-hmm. Some have felt they have to do, and that's that's their choice. Yeah, you know? yeah. So anyway, eventually, it just I was ready to burst and called him, and I said. We need to talk. Yeah. And so for the first time, I was talking to a gay person. Yeah. And I uh, was introduced to that world. Well, so was there a world beyond this one person to be introduced yes. to? Yes. So and what was it, happening then? Well, I got involved. That was the beginning. Of, well, I was at the first meeting to organize a gay club in Saskatoon. Oh, roughly what year would that have been? About 71. Oh, okay. Yeah, something right. about that. Eh? You, you all must have been the people that put that ad in the newspaper. I have no I awareness of that I'm ad. thinking it must have been. And maybe because it, it would have been mid-70s that right? I would have seen that ad. Well, then it would have been a, a dance at the Unitarian Church, I'll bet. Ah, the good old no, Unitarian. we had a place by then. Oh, by then you did? Okay. Yeah, we had a place by then. Okay. All right, yeah. okay. The upstairs one. I'm not sure, yeah. yeah. Maybe above layer shoes? Yeah. That was the first so. one. Yeah, okay. okay. This is where the gay club was going to be? Yeah. 
So it wasn't a nightclub, or what was it? Like that's just a social. No, the club? first the first place that we were managed to rent was literally a, a one bedroom apartment. So we used the kitchen as a bar area, mm-hmm. and then of course there was an open counter kind of thing, and that was of course the living room or dance area, and then what was the bedroom was also a dance area. So literally, we just had that that one bedroom almost a little bit bigger than a studio apartment upstairs from Blair's Shoes is what was downstairs on 2nd Avenue. Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And so did you have to explain to whoever was the landlord? I'm not sure what they did. I I wasn't involved in organizing at that time. Was there Um, a lot of mysterious comings and goings? Well, I'm wondering. Well, only at nighttime. Right. That's right, because gay people only come out at night. (laughs) 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 We sleep all day long. But we're still covered with a lot of moss. Yeah. No wonder we well, we certainly didn't, we didn't. We did a holy holiday. Yeah. It was right downtown, and we didn't bother the business downstairs because it was closed on Saturday nights. What so. kind of hours would, would that place well, we, be used the only, or occupied? The only ones that I know of is the Saturday night. I was in relationship at that time, so I wasn't particularly involved in the community, but I would come out dancing Saturday night. And how many people would pack into this well, one-room apartment? Sometimes there was a lot of space. Yeah. There was still a lot of space around. You were there, Jerry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, initially. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. I'm not a, sure how long we were there. There'd be quite a turnout. Yeah, sometimes it was full. Yeah. And, and sometimes there was still a, a fair amount of space. And and uh, there, weren't a, uh, there weren't a lot of women in the community, but if there was a hole in the plaster, it was not caused by the men. It was caused by some jealous woman. And it was the lesbians that fixed the hole, then. Probably. Because <laughs> we would know how. Because the men were too busy decorating. <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> oh, I'm so, no, I'm so glad. No, Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Was it... Were you afraid for your safety going in and out of this place, coming in and out? Uh, or was that even... Not myself, but I remember the second place we had, which was above the Indian Maiti Friendship Centre on 20th Street. That was much bigger. I didn't know that one. Oh, okay. That one was much, much bigger. And we had room for a pool table and plus, plus a dance room and then office spaces and everything. And we closed... At that time, we closed... I think it was at midnight or something like that. And the Indian Maiti Friendship Center had closed just moments before kind of thing. And we were just 
shutting things down and locking things up, putting things away. So we ended up coming out of the space a little bit later, and we got beat on. The, the, the people who had closed the Indian Medi Friendship Center downstairs, they weren't ready to quit. And so they beat up, beat on us. And I don't you know if there assaulted. was any. Yeah, we were, a whole bunch of us were assaulted, kicked and, and hammered into the sidewalk and, and, and stuff. And so I know there were stitches. I'm not sure if there was any broken bones. And of course, the cops were called. And as soon as the, the police car rounded the corner, there was not a person to be seen. They all flew in literally different directions. Nobody went in the same direction as somebody else. So, so anyway, we ended up reporting that, you know, individually went and told our story down at the cop shop. So. It would be interesting to see if that police report yeah. still existed and yeah. to so see that was, how it was written. Yes. And how they responded. Yeah, no kidding. Because at that time, do you think a lot of this stuff was just conveniently overlooked? Well, I mean, they responded. We, we, yeah, they responded because there was an assault happening. Mm-hmm. But they, they didn't, didn't identify it as this is going yeah. to be an issue within this particular within community. our community. Yeah, no, right. And when I went down to the cop shop on Monday to tell my side of the story, what I witnessed and, and stuff like that, I didn't experience any prejudice, but I didn't experience any interest either. But there were, you know, questions to clarify and, you know, that kind of thing. So I was willing to let my whole name stand and to be out enough to, uh, to, to tell, you know, what I yeah. had, what I yeah. had witnessed. But there was a lot of times where there was, especially the guys who would come in black and blue from having been gang beaten, you know, that kind yeah. That, and this uh, wasn't necessarily doing anything overt on the street. No, this it was, was just, just walking somebody, down the street. Yeah, just yeah. people just... In the, day, in the daytime. Uh-huh. It wasn't like just a whole bunch of guys who'd had a few beers and decided, let's go and get a ferry to beat up. Yeah. Because that, that certainly happened too. Yeah. But no, this was could be in the, in the daytime. Right. Um, yeah. So were people living double lives? I mean, would you go to this place and then and then when you left, you sort of took on a different persona? Oh, people are still living double lives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There yeah. are so many married men, men married to women. Yeah. In this so, community today. Yeah. That are living double lives and and have lovers on the side or seeking sex on the down low. It's There are so many. It's ridiculous. Why? Am I naive in thinking why in the world would you want to do that in the year 2019? A lot of these men are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s and still haven't come out. Okay. And they've been in established marriages. They might be bisexual and in happy marriages. Yeah. Or reasonable marriages. Some may be that, but there's also, I think, of a specific person uh, from many years back. And well, one time I went back to his place and walked in. I had known him for quite some time. And on the dresser, there were wedding pictures. And I said, you got married? He said, oh, yeah. I said, how come? He said, well, it's good. It helps you advance, get promotions and things like that. It looks good it looks publicly uh-huh. to be married. The right. perception. Yeah. 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 Wow. All of these perceptions, all of these experiences just fuel shame. Like Yeah. 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 And without many places to yeah. go to feel um confirmed in the shame to shed. Yeah, shed, yeah. Right? I mean you had this club. 
Yeah, Which I was engaged to like, be married. Were you? I was engaged to be married yeah. and had the, uh, you know, the, uh, and I just decided, well, what I felt inside was almost nothing. Yeah. You know, it was a really nice man. I knew that he was a really nice man. Yeah. But in terms of the attraction, there wasn't, there really wasn't any. Yeah. And um, I had such strong attractions for, for women. And so I gave the ring back and decided I've got to. I just ha- have to be true enough to myself to check this out. And if, I, if it isn't for me, I can always go back at, to find a fat, nice fellow and get married. Well, I never, I never turned around once I found the community, which at that time was probably that half hour, no, it was a different half hour program. It was a, a, a daytime talk show that was on the local TV mm-hmm. and Bruce Garman with his long hair parted in the middle and his John Lennon glasses kind of thing. Anyway, they, I came home from the evening shift and they were replaying this interview with Bruce and he flashed on the bottom his own home phone number and so I called that for weeks. There was no answering machines, of course, you know. I called that for weeks before I actually got an individual to answer my... And then he introduced me to a woman who was in the community, and there was maybe, if you counted really hard, 10 women in the community at that time. But he introduced me to a woman who wanted to keep me for herself, kind of thing. Mm. didn't want to introduce me to... You were fresh on the market. I was fresh meat. (laughs) But she was in the relationship, so I I didn't really understand this, but... Uh, anyway, finally, I got her to talk, talked her into uh, letting me meeting, letting me meet some of the other women. And then very shortly after that, there was a prairie conference here. And we, uh, so uh, people from, I don't know if Winnipeg, but certainly Regina, Calgary, Edmonton, were here for some sort of, at that time, we were called the Zodiac Society. And the the club above layer shoes that I mentioned earlier, that was called the Gemini club because, you know, to find another one just like us kind of thing was the concept around that. But anyway, the, the uh, Unitarian hall was absolutely filled with, uh, with people. And at that time I thought it was a huge space. It might've been twice as big as this boardroom. Ah. And, um, do you remember roughly what the numbers were? Uh, about, I would say, about 30 men and a dozen, 15 women. Well, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. What really? age would these people have been? Most of them were, the women were uh, in their 20s, maybe early 30s kind of thing, that that age group. And, uh, you know, and, and they said things like, oh, no, I wish I could take put you in my suitcase and take you home. Well, what lesbian who's ne- who's been chomping at the bit and never having met another lesbian wouldn't love to hear something like that. I thought the lesbians already had their suitcases packed and yeah. moving van rented. Is <laughs> U-Haul on the second day. Right? It depends on what city you live in. Yeah. It depends on what city in Saskatoon. Well, it must have felt amazing to just get together with a group of people where you could It was just amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. And I still... Uh, have uh, I grew up Mennonite, and that was very, very hard for me yeah. to come out of that Mennonite faith because I had heard whole sermons yeah. about homosexuality and how they were going to hell and all that stuff. So yeah. I didn't want that. Yeah. Didn't want to go to hell. So it was very, very challenging for me to to come out of my own closet. And still today, 
my um, a lot of my siblings, most of my siblings, don't believe that God would make those kinds of mistakes. So I don't have supportive family members. I still have, just like I did 47 years ago when I came out. There's nothing has changed in my family in those 47 years. Society, thank God, a society has has changed, and we've got Coffee Row on Wednesdays, which is a group of seniors that meet. And it's a lifesaver for a lot of us. It's such a God godsend to be able to be with our own people. We'll get back to Coffee Row in a second. I just wanted to jump back into that era of the 70s, um, early 80s. So you were the generation that experienced AIDS as a death sentence. Um, I was an AIDS counselor in 1980. Eight. Before they had a name for it where they were calling it the gay disease. The GRID, yeah, gay-related immune deficiency. Right. Yeah, yes. GRID is what it was called. No, uh-huh. by that time it had changed to AIDS okay. because they had found out what the... Because it had been known yes, as very GRID. disgustingly as yeah. the gay disease, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. the disease that replaced herpes. Herpes was the disease right. that was in vogue that everybody was afraid of, was most recently... diagnosed as an STI and Mm -hmm. then then GRID appeared yeah but it was in the most discriminatory of ways it was directly attached to the gay that's right it was the gay plague GRID which is gay related immune deficiency Uh is what was was called initially until uh, there were some drug users who started getting it as well from shooting up. And so then, then they could they the Haitian community yeah. yes. as well. Yes. Then they started right. then they started calling it AIDS uh-huh. um, and AIDS related diseases. So that's when I started doing the counseling. And uh, I would say ninety eight percent of the, the people who had come as a counselor, I was a counselor, first counselor in Ottawa, uh, they ninety eight percent would be from the gay community. Yeah. Uh, finding out that they had HIV or that they had AIDS uh, kind of thing in the beginning. And at that time, it was a death sentence. Absolutely. It's so tragic to think of all the lives lost that could be here today. Yeah, given the current technology, the arts, medication, and the support arts community, systems. the arts community just really, really lost a lot. We lost a whole generation. We all lost a whole yeah. generation of people. And do you think that loss fueled fear for people coming out even more? Knowing, um, I, you know, that was almost like the to, what I experienced as an AIDS counselor was that. It was almost like the second coming out, like Stonewall was a big thing in our community. Yeah. So 20, almost 20 years later was AIDS. And then uh, some of the guys who were not out to their families because they were so unwell, they had to come out. Not only did they have to come out about being gay, they had to come out as being infected. Yeah. And so, so that, that, that blossomed then into the larger community, uh, learning about AIDS and accepting their individual loved ones and so it became more of not just uh, us as gay and lesbian people but more family members who also supported the gay people but also so a like lot of family rev- members second revolu- revolution but also a lot of family members that completely disowned absolutely and that absolutely. was probably where the gay community came in um, very much the lesbians really came in yeah. To take care of their the brothers. Only place, yeah. The yeah. only people that would 
Yeah. Could that would that could yeah. and that would. Well, the the, gay, the other gay fellows, yeah. I mean, they became so caring. Yeah. There was a lot of lot of caring with, yeah. in the gay the gay community, male community, and then the lesbians also came along and helped out yeah. big time. Yeah. One of the turning points of public opinion came when when Rock Hudson died of AIDS. Yeah. And that was a. Bit, I was that sitting really in a restaurant a sometime after. I don't think he had died yet, but there were two two middle aged, a little over middle aged guys at the next table, and 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 just oh poor old Rocky, and then you just yeah, I mean they weren't gay, you know, well, but because he was such a famous face. person, you know, and all that sort of thing. So, do you think there was less discrimination because he was perceived as the? The, the romantic heterosexual lead of Hollywood? I think there was more compassion? acceptance of the awareness of AIDS, but I don't okay. think it really swung a big door wide open to acceptance of the gay people. Right. You know, there were, would have been some degree of change. I might be wrong, but... Well, perhaps they were able to separate the disease from the man because he was somehow held on, high on a pedestal. Yeah. And the rest of gay culture was still yeah. basically yeah. being Absolutely. looked down on, yeah? Well, and I mean, same with Magic, uh, Rock Hudson and Magic, what was his name, the basketball player? Johnson. Right. Yeah, Magic, Magic Johnson. Yeah. Both of those right. really right. made a difference yeah. in yeah. terms of HIV and AIDS. Yeah. 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 And Rock Hudson would have been, you know, high up there because he made movies with Doris Day, for right. heaven's sakes, you know. <laughs> you can't get more good... Good level, high level than I remember reading Rock Hudson's biography, and at the end he had died, and and how they had taken his body and ensured that it was cremated without a public viewing. Like the people closest to him protected him right to the end. And after I just set the book down, and I just sobbed. Mm-hmm. It was so sad mm-hmm. and so tragic. That his life ended that way, and that his life, he led a double life mm. to the yeah. public that entire time. I mean, he was out in Hollywood and people knew there, but mm-hmm. to the world, it wasn't known until he came out with HIV. Was it a sad thought to think we had to have these icons that weren't necessarily directly um, attached to the gay community as the only people we could look up to? And were there, do you recall, I mean, of course, it was Harvey Milk who eventually came out. Did we have the equivalent of a Canadian Harvey Milk? Um, I didn't have any role models. Yeah. No, not yeah. public ones. Yeah. I had one in my family. My dad's sister was lesbian. And she married and had three children. And it was the un, it was just unspoken in our family that she was a lesbian. Mm-hmm. But she was my rock. Like, she was loved and accepted and included in all our family stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when she was dying, I had a conversation with her and told her how important she was to me and what a role model she was to me, that if my dad loved her, he would probably love me as a gay man. Mm-hmm. And I really had to cling to that as mm-hmm. a kid. My mom said to me, um, I think it might have been after I broke up with my first partner. I don't remember. But it was years after, you know, at least five years after I'd come out. And she said, well, couldn't you, I know, understand not being married, but couldn't you just be a missionary? <laughs> 
Like that would fix it. Yeah, that would yeah. be your penance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Again, yet another suggestion is how can we sweep this under the rug? Yeah, try and, exactly. Try and normalize exactly. this somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and when you talk about your family, it's like, mom died long ago, so it just wasn't an issue type of thing. Uh, but my dad eventually figured it out. And uh, never once in my life did he make an opening for me to be able to talk to him about it. And uh, anyway, but my two brothers and sister accept me totally, and it's just wonderful. And and uh, so I I had that support. But the thing is, when I, I left university, I was involved in all that wonderful stuff and so on, and I was out and I was happy and so on, and then I got a teaching job in the country. Mm. And fear of getting fired, fear back of in the whatever, closet. back in the closet. Like I've said before, I wound up so far back in the closet that Walmart wouldn't be able to put all, would be, would be able to put all of their racks of clothing into the closet and I could still be in the back <laughs> and they could still get the door closed, you know? <laughs> and I retired. I went to three, I taught in three different schools. I was gay bashed to different degrees in, in all three of them. And to put it bluntly, when you're gay bashed in a classroom, you feel like you're standing there with your dick hanging out of mm-hmm. your pants. Mm. Just, feel totally unique to the world, mm-hmm. you know. And But it eventually it came to realize, and so, you know, most people knew and figured it out, and it was no big deal. Kids are a lot different. Anyway, then I retired, and because of all the closet stuff, I became fearful of the world at large, and it took me a heck of a long time to finally get out of the small town. Good people there, yes, but yeah, there was no club to go to. I got here in November fast. And what's interesting, though, is coming here, that was not a huge scene, but it was enough to make getting out of small town, Saskatchewan, and to Saskatoon feel... It was almost overwhelming versus rural Saskatchewan. Your brain, as compared to what we have now, your brain would have just exploded. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so wonderful. And just meeting a few people who are just like you. Yeah. 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 And now there are so one many. Of the, yeah. yeah. Look what you've done. <laughs> Absolutely. Look what we've done. We need more toasters. We have there's, to get more toasters. There, and there's still... there's. <laughs> That's for women. Toaster oh. ovens. <laughs> oh, I could have used a good crescent wrench, you know. <laughs> oh, no, you've got to have the Instant Pot. Love the Instant Pot. But there's, there's still the notion that uh, I don't want my children to have a gay teacher. They might get converted. Yes. You know, that whole notion of being converted. is imp- It's impossible. It's like you either are or you aren't. The gay agenda. Yeah. Yeah. You either yeah. are or you aren't. Yeah. Tell that to the to the men married to women that are getting sex from men on the down low. Oh yeah. They can't figure out where they are on the spectrum. For them, it's not whether they are or aren't. They're wa- they're moving back and forth on the spectrum. All well, the there time. there's bisexual people. Yeah. There's no doubt about it that there are people who who. 
it doesn't really matter what your body looks like just as long as I like you as a person. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. I believe that there are bisexual people. I just happen not to be one of them. Right. Well, no, so we go ahead. Well, yeah, because it sort of came up. There's a lot of talk about, you know, we, we were the front runners in the, in the, in the, in the pride. The, how, how were we turned? The uh, trailblazers, mm-hmm. you know, and we were the first in the parade this June. And there was talk and consideration, the idea of, you know, we're older and we were the ones who were at the first meeting for the club mm-hmm. and this and started them. And, and that, it hurts sometimes to see all those young people and looking flashy and kind of dress up and this and that and date and, and so on. But why does it hurt? Because it hurts I'm, now? It, it, it can hurt because it's something that I missed yeah. living, living in yeah. the country for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. But... I do they no go ahead okay. I, I, don't I just want to yeah. say because we often we older ones do think that way and so on but I remember I was at a, at a meeting there was a younger person there and he says we oh yeah right thank you we we owe so much to you older ones uh-huh. that set the way <laughs> I kind of think those those acknowledgements are few and far between yes them. yeah that's I, what I was going to say is is that being heard enough? No. And no. that's one of the reasons we're going to be presenting the, the uh, uh, workshop at the Gay Straight Alliance, and that's going to happen in Prince Albert in two and a half weeks. We, we've developed, uh, through Coffee Row, there's a few of us who got together. We developed a workshop called Walking with Dinosaurs, Connecting the Generations. And there's a, like a 10-minute video, but we also go in there and tell what it was like 40 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and why they can now walk down the school hallways with a rainbow pin on their lapel and not get beaten up, uh, that we have paid the roads for them, for them, and not to take it for granted. I mean, if Trump has his way, we would go back 40 years mm-hmm. into not leg- de-legislating, you know, equal marriage and gay rights and etc. So we can't take it for granted. We need huge prices to keep were the paid for them to have that huge price. That's what we talk about during that workshop. Yeah, that 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 it matters, and keep on keeping on. Yeah, it, which must blow your mind to think that you went through the school system. Could you have imagined the thought that one day there'd be a gay-straight alliance within schools? No. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't around when I was there. No. Yeah. And well, I forgot. Well, and there are, there, as, as we record, there are issues within Saskatchewan where gay-straight alliances have kind of come under fire. Yes. Um, John? And yeah. Have we made any progress? Oh, I'd like yeah. to think no, we have. We have, right? I mean, look, oh, we're sitting, we're yeah. sitting in out Saskatoon, yeah. which is like you know an established hub of the community. Fourteen also, staff, yes, but also a, a well-established part of these of Saskatoon. Yeah, as well. we have Pride House, which is yeah. for teenagers who are kicked out of their homes. Right. right. Or have to live, don't have to live on the street because of Pride House. Yes. I mean, we would never have had that 40, 45 years ago. AIDS is no longer a death sentence. Meter. Yeah. There's Eight. also the, the Prairie Lily Curling League for the LGBT community. Really? And it's huge here. Yeah. That league meets every Sunday afternoon and curls. 
I thought you were going to say you went curling on the prairie lily. Yeah. No. That's not a whole lot of space. And it's not a bunch of guy gay guys sitting around curling their hair either. Right, because right. you lose your rocks in the water. <laughs> One could only hope. <laughs> so what's interesting about the Prairie Lily Curling League, the LGBT uh-huh. Curling League, uh-huh. is that they are now hosting, I think this year will be their third or fourth bonds bill in March of 2020, and it filled up the bond spill all the spots filled up in three days and wow. there's people teams of either four or five curlers coming from all over western canada i could not have imagined a sporting event like that when i was 15 years old but we have youth curlers in the league now which is is awesome i remember in the 80s i was part of a, a group that put together a delegation for Celebration 90, which was the World Gay Games held in Vancouver Mm -hmm. in 1990. Mm -hmm. And prior to that meet, there was the Gay Olympics in San Francisco Mm -hmm. four years previous. Mm -hmm. And there were huge court battles to drop the Olympic name. Could not have gay and Olympic together in one Mm -hmm. phrase. Mm -hmm. And I believe it still is not considered an Olympic event. No, it's, it's, it's an international Sporting, yeah, it would not be. It was not still. So there's still work to do. Yeah, right. There are the Olympic Olympic owns that Olympic name, but there's Special Olympics, there's Paralympics, there's right, but not gay. They won't allow the Gay Olympics to happen. So we still have work to do because Paralympic being a paraplegic is not a choice. (laughs) <laughs> Neither is that, being gay. I know. I'm saying that sarcastically. Yes. Because you know somebody's thinking that right now as they hear this. Yeah, well, Beverly, you didn't choose that, but you chose this. No. For yourself. Yeah, yeah. Were you both exactly. There? Yeah. Were you both there for the first Pride Parade? Um, we had a Pride Parade before it was called the first Pride Parade, but I think the, the anniversary of the Pride Parade, with the way they talk about it now, uh-huh. is 20 less than 25 years, I believe. But during Metamorphosis one year, which happened in the 70s and the 80s, what was we Metamorphosis? had... Metamorphosis was a prairie celebration during Thanksgiving weekend. And it happened 14 years in a row. Okay. And people would come from Edmonton, Winnipeg, Regina, Red Deers, Calgary, etc. for that weekend. And we had uh, coffee houses. We had women's dances, men's dances, mixed dances. We had workshops. We had video. Some years we had video. Yeah, video things. We had craft fairs. We had uh, daycare, um, you know, available for. And this is bringing in people from the LGBT community. Yes, only from the LGBT. Saskatoon was spearheading. Saskatoon spearheaded it for fourteen years. Yeah. You were behind? Uh, I was part of the organizing committee some years, yes. And uh, the whole weekend there would be events. Uh, and then on Sunday, uh, late morning, we would have a turkey brunch kind of thing. And then people, I mean, it's, there's something to be said about past the gravy to when there's 150 people having turkey right. dinner. The, right. the problem often was to get somebody to get up at three in the morning to put the turkey in the oven after having danced all night long. And that was sometimes the challenge to because we needed more than one bird for 150 people, that's for sure. Anyway, 
what was oh during metamorphosis one year we had a march mm-hmm. at pride i don't know if we called it a pride march mm-hmm. but there was about 50 of us only who ran through kinsman park kind of thing walking how was that park. received um did anyone know what you were doing we uh, yeah, we did some chants and shouting, and I remember there was people participating in there with paper bags on their heads with the holes cut from oh the eyes in it. Well, so that they could be part of it, part yeah, of it. But still, so they yeah. could participate. But that's where things were. At yeah, the... yeah. And I think I think I was saying uh, once at, at Coffee Row for for us, we were the trailblazers this last. We were the mentors this last year for the Pride. Parade. We walked at the front of the parade as, uh-huh. as trailblazers. I, th- I think it's what they called us, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I said, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, walking, do put a paper bag over your head because it's very, yeah. very Simple. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Did anybody? No. It was a rainy day. We didn't have very many coming out to walk. But you touched on a little bit ago that the one person that said thank you meant a lot but not enough people did that are doing that do you feel thanked enough do you feel like you need to be I think acknowledged and thanked I think there are those who do feel that way and you know but don't have the opportunity to outrightly do the thanking and so on but there is I'm sure there's awareness in many of we're so we're so fortunate, you know. Yeah. To I think have moving this past world. the attitudes or lack of gratitude is the fear that everything that was fought for will be lost yeah. Yeah. if the stories aren't preserved and continued to be told. The irony, the, the, yeah. There's a big fear that the complacency will create loss. The irony is not lost on me as I sit here looking at the poppy that you're wearing. That that same fear within war vets, World War II, World War I, that those stories get, will get lost. Well, and there's, and there's the still lots of people who fought for our freedom. Right, and there's still lots of people who don't know that there were hundreds of thousands of LGBTQ2 people who were put into the gas chambers just because of who they were. Mm-hmm. And lots of people mm-hmm. don't people know. People of the pink triangle. Mm-hmm. The, the pink That's triangle. where the pink triangle comes from. And yeah. so many of the young people in our community have no idea. They identify yeah. it as a, as a as gay us. icon, but they don't know the history of it or where it came yeah. from. The fact that that was how the lesbian and gay people were identified in the concentration camps. Yeah. And if you were Jewish and you were gay, it was double discriminatory and that's such a simple word yeah. but they were the most brutalized people yeah yeah you were the lowest of the low and, and the other thing that i think is happening at nowadays is with the young people the teens in the early 20s etc i think to some extent it's assumed that our rights are assumed that they assume sort of that this has always been the way it, it is you know, that now that the marriage legislation and equality human rights legislation is passed, they, they, they don't even remember when it was passed, and so they kind of make an assumption that it's always been that way. Right. You so, know, yeah. That would be like, 
That would have been like if suddenly we went back to like for me in the in the in the 70s and and you know the only contact places you said was was the park yeah. yeah and it was there so I knew that's where I would go and try but suddenly tell me at that time there were days when there didn't used to be a park to go to yeah and everything's gone you know so do you follow my connection yeah I, yeah you know yeah do you yeah. think there's a sense of entitlement now with the Yes, are you, like that. This is so, just... I think some of them do. Uh-huh. Uh, I I think that there's an, an entitlement and an like I said an assumption that of course I have the right, you know. And thank God they they sometimes I feel like thank goodness they do assume because that means that we have really done our work yes. well. We have created yeah. a new and better normal. We, that's yeah. it. What we have done thing. our work well when there's the assumption. That gay rights is is our right, our natural born right. Right, just like the hetero people say, congratulations, you've won gay marriage, but you also get to have divorce now too. Yeah. So yeah. enjoy that. <laughs> Suffer like the rest that, of that, that, that happened about a year after we got our gay rights somebody who didn't want to be married anymore and so they had to re-legislate rewrite the legislation <laughs> assuming that all gays and lesbians would be married forever yeah. just like heterosexuals <laughs> I, I want to put in like I did get back into the closet and I was there for almost 30 years you know came here in November and and there was coffee roll here you know, I don't what I would have done without that. But I think back years ago when uh, Jens Helquist did a writing in whatever it Perception. was. Perceptions? Perhaps, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he said something about, I don't know what the incident was, but he said, you know, it's in the small... Oh, yeah, right. The s- <laughs> small towns... Of- it's because you're French. <laughs> I know! I know. <laughs> Amputate and I'd be silent forever. <laughs> okay, what did Jen? What did Jen say? And he said, "It's in the small towns that we're going to win the battle and change the people." And not that I wanted to sacrifice my entire thirty years to to the cause, but it was only three schools, and two of them I was in for a long time, and I came to be. I find out later because I always thought, you know. What if people know? Good grief, use the F word here. Um, they knew. The students knew. Yeah. So if you're there long enough, you become a person to them. Mm-hmm. Rather than mm-hmm. the, just the new, the new gay person in mm-hmm. town. Yeah. You're a person who, oh, well, he happens to be. Like one, one, one time, hockey, hockey, men's hockey team. And somebody told me, you heard this conversation. Some of the guys were saying in the dressing room, oh, well, that new teacher, he's gay and all that sort of thing. And two men who had children, uh, whom I taught, said, look, he teaches my children and he's excellent. And shut them down like that. So there was some defense. There started, it did start to come that people do defend and, and, well, you and are we're, we're people too? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they knew it. They just knew it. And others, because they had would never know. It's really funny when you're sitting in some place and someone they're talking about gay people and all that. Well, if only we knew one. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> you know. Years yeah. ago, I sat on um, the home care board for our 
community. And as a result of that, I sat on a bigger board that was the first rural health district. When the NDP government under Lauren Calvert was establishing the health districts, and so it was very broad geographically, the area that we were representing. And there was a fellow that sat around the table and said, we have this represented, we have this represented, we have this represented. We've got everything here but a homosexual. Let's go recruit a homosexual. And I sat in silence. Like, I did mm. not speak up. I did yeah. not mm. defend myself or say, oh, we're here. <laughs> we're represented. And it was just, it yeah. was still part of my coming out or lack thereof. Yeah. Recently, I, I made a phone call to a, a former politician and we were commiserating over the results of the last federal election. And I talked to her about the gay vote and how it's very powerful and how it could swing power on the national level. And she reflected back to me her observations of me when I lived there. And she said, Lindsay, you're the first one. You're the first one that's come out in our community. And then she said, do you know so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? And I said, no, who are these people? Well, they're younger people from our community that have since come out. And she told me what a role model I had been in the community that had perhaps in some way paved a way yeah. for these younger people yeah. to come out. And to hear that kind of acknowledgement kind of kind of makes a bit of the pain of what we went through go yeah. away. Yeah. Quite a, quite a few years ago, uh, I and oh, about six others, I think, approximately, people who were professionals and um, in our community and uh, had been out for at least 10 years, if not more. Anyway, we gathered for a weekend at Anne and Aaron's uh, farm, and we put together the idea of opening a support center. And uh, so with the whole weekend, we talked about what could that look like, what we'd like to have there, uh, was going to be a support and information line, how it, uh, who would train the volunteers to learn to listen, etc. And then also we developed policies like you can't meet anybody over the phone. You know, that in the early 80s or late 70s, that would have been something that, you know, a, a person who was answering the phone to be supportive kind of thing might do. So anyway, we set all that up and then we rented a little two-room place in the building that no longer exists, which was behind the old Army and Navy building. And uh, that was the, the first uh, uh, community service that OUT has blossomed from. Mm -hmm and ran it with volunteers. Erin was in the uh, had a listening um, profession, so she uh, helped to train the volunteers. And we often, often got uh, uh, calls that were derogatory. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, how, how will I know if I'm gay? Teenagers having a hoot, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And I remember one time the, the fellow, who I think maybe it was Jens, who was on the phone that day, and he said, well, you're not going to know if you're gay or not until puberty. And it, I could, he could hear the kid, kid on the other end of the phone saying, what's puberty? 
Because <laughs> they wanted to give him a hard time. And there were people who came out later on and said, I was one of the ones that hassled, hassled you over the phone. It was their own internalized heterosexism and homophobia that, you know, got them to... That was the nerve that it took, is to call up and hassle the, the volunteer before they could actually come out means of acting out. Yeah. Well, coffee row means a lot to you guys. Oh, yeah. So it, you're, you're 55 and older, uh, members of... In the theory. Other, yeah, huh? In theory. In theory, yes. Get together to support each other. Are you very much a lifeline to each other um, because you are from a very specific generation that get it on a level that nobody else will would. It's the center of my week. Is it a challenge to be a gay senior? Is there ageism within the within our culture? If there's ageism for me, because I've moved in from a small town mm. The ageism part is wiped away by the good friends that I've made in Coffee Row. Instant nest of potential close, oh sorry, yeah, friends. It's okay. The French in you demands that you use your hands. That's why we keep chuckling. It's fine. If listeners are listening to thuds, that's it's very simply expressing himself. Don't hold back. Yes, I hear what you're saying. Because I don't, you know, I. All that I knew from yeah. before, except yeah. here, now there's out Saskatoon, yeah. would have been all I would have known to go and meet would have been back to the park again. Yeah. That's that's basically what you know was my default default idea of where you were still yeah. back thirty years. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But do we? The cynic in me says forty is old in gay culture, and you know you're now for people out there on the hunt. No old guys, you know, no old girls, 40, you know, nobody under 35 or over, you know, over 35, nobody over 40. God help you if you're 50 or 60. Is that real within our community? Not at all. Not at all. I beg to differ. I think there's, uh, there is ageism and there's reverse ageism. At Coffee Roll, uh -huh. there's sometimes an opinion that the younger people don't... Um, there's an opinion that the older people should not even be involved with the younger people, that they have nothing to learn from them. That the younger there. people have nothing to learn from the older people? The older the people, people have nothing to learn from the younger people. Yes, older people have nothing to learn from the younger people. And there's a whole millennial culture out there that's just entirely different than what we're familiar with. Not that it's good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. It just is. What can you learn from younger members of our community? I mean, you're the trailblazers. Is, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Can you teach a young dog old tricks? Yeah, see, my... Hmm. My experience, and I somehow think maybe it's different for the lesbian culture, but I just feel like gay men look at each other and size each other up on so many harsh and physical, and physical, and physical think, attributes. And physical attributes, and, and I just think, 
We've had that done to us by straight culture for all of our lives. Why the hell are we doing that to each other? Within discrimination, discriminatory behaviors. Why? And is that being talked enough? And lesbians do tend to be more, um, you know, I want to know what you're like. Yes. As as opposed to going for the physical attributes. I just think for some for trailblazers that it's heartbreaking to think. Look, the the mere privilege of you being able to walk down the street in relative safety, to yeah. basically not even have to come out because people don't care either way, or people just observe it of you and it doesn't even come up anymore. To to live without that level of shame that you guys have all had to live with, that alone is enough to celebrate. Everybody, and why then all of a sudden start ostracizing the people that have given you the freedom that you enjoy now? Or am I just being too much of a cynic? I wear a rainbow scarf all the time. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have done that in the 70s? Mm, Probably not. Probably not. Uh, But I, I wanted to, if for anybody who does know what the rainbow means... Yeah. I want them to see me. Yeah. I want to, uh, then like you said, you know, uh, where is the gay person? Where is the, the, I want them to see that there, here's one. Without having to go to a secret place. Yeah. 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 Without having to go to a secret place. And here's one who's not necessarily ashamed of who she is. Proud enough the to raise The is the new black Orange used to be the new black, but now it's the rainbow is the new black. We're trying to normalize it, right? And as much as I want to be able to wear this sweatshirt everywhere, every day, without a second thought, I have to give it a second thought. Lindsay Sweatshirt said, I didn't choose to be gay, I just got lucky. So this was given to me by a friend, a a straight female friend, and I know I can safely wear it down to out. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to leave this building uh-huh. and You're go, not, go not. for lunch somewhere, and I might have to cover it up. Really? Yep. For your own benefit? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. For your but own. what's really interesting is when I do sometimes forget that I have it on, and I'm wearing it out in public, and I see people read it, and then I realize the reaction they're giving to me is because they've read my shirt. And sometimes it's that look that Marilyn's giving me right now of glee and acknowledgement. And other times it still is disgust. They are disgusted. And so yeah. that would be why you that. would cover it up? Because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but why would protective you? Protective measures are still protective necessary. Measures. So that sort of still, you still carry that with you. Yeah. I don't Whether think it'll ever go away. Right. I don't think it'll even if it. Even if it is your own perception and not really what's happening in that moment or, or well, that perception's everything. Right. I mean, even though you're not about to get your head bashed in at that moment, you're that, that kind I'm, of, I feel moment. vulnerable. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm, There's yeah. always a vulnerability. Yeah. Years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I was with a good friend from university days and we kept in contact. She's female, straight, Mm-hmm. And we were walking in a in a mall or whatever it was in Regina. We were just walking. And I said, put your arm through mine. Mm-hmm. And she did. Instantly, I felt normal. 
and safe. You were expressing heterosexuality yes, in right. public. I, I can exist yeah. as a heterosexual and don't, I'm have, to pass. Live, don't have to live, live under this cloud of, do they know? Would they accept me if they did? Can they tell? Are they looking at me sideways? I was normal. I blended in. I was part of the world as a whole. That will never go away. You know, there's always... You know, that's sad for me to hear that from you, too, because, like I said, I wear my my rainbow scarf with pride, and I could care less what other people think about me. Um, Maybe it's because my family has judged me for, you know, 47 years since I came out, and I had to do years of therapy to get myself to a place where I am okay just the way I am. I'm not sure. But it's sad for me to hear that you might never... You might never get to a place where I am presently, where, you know, I, I, I'm proud and I don't care who knows. I don't care what their attitude is. That's their problem. That's their stuff. I wear the it's got shirt nothing in, to do with me. I'd wear the shirt in downtown Vancouver on Davy without a second thought. Mm-hmm. I would never even put it on in my home rural farm community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things you have to remember, I was in the closet in small town for years. You've had, you've been here through the development of it. Right. This is new stuff to me to feed. Right. I had a date last night with the guy who brought me out in the 1970s, and we had a wonderful time. We were in a restaurant once in a while. Whoops, sorry, damn it. (laughs) And and touch touch hands and and laugh and and, and this type of thing with talking, and and it was wonderful. So, and you're right, it did take years for me, Jerry, it did take years for me to get to that place of feeling comfortable in my own skin. But one of the things you said in the beginning, and it's kind of, this kind of reminds me of that, is that uh, there's a woman by the name of Cheryl Logan, and she did a study through Council of Aging and out uh, a, a one-year study for seniors, and what she discovered was that 90% of LGBTQ2 seniors, and they need any care, that's home care all the way to being in a nursing home, yes. the whole gamut, 90% of them go back into the closet. Yeah, yeah, and this is well-researched. Yeah, yeah, that's what she found in, in, in Saskatoon. And that really, really hurts. And we, part of um, Coffee Row has different committees that are working committees. And the Advocacy and Education Committee is starting to gear up to do something about that. And even the information fair that we, had, we set up a booth a couple of weeks ago and also another fair um, in September we, uh, you know, a way of exposing LGBTQ2 issues in general and seniors in particular. And one of the things that happened a couple of weeks ago was that one of the women would stay in the booth to be able to talk to people who were uh, coming by. And the other one went around to all of the agencies and said, what are you doing for our community? And generally speaking, nothing happens. So if you ask, go to a nursing home or someplace, an institution for seniors, and ask what kind of services are you providing for the LGBTQ2 people, they would say, we don't have any. Don't have any services or don't have any people of Don't have any people of that, of that ilk. Ain't no queers here. <laughs> Which is BS. One of the things I want 
to say is that I've observed in you talking, Jerry, I'll talk, let's start with you, how emotional it is for you to not feel thanked enough. How do we fix that? How do we... I don't think it comes out of a sense of selfishness that people are thanking you nonstop and you're just not hearing it. I genuinely believe that you're not being thanked enough, even though the even though you know appearing at the head of the parade as trailblazers was a great tribute. But on a day-to-day basis, what's being done to marry the younger generation within our community with you guys? To is there a mentor program? Um, the woman who um, coordinates Pride House and is the sort of constant contact for those youth. She came to Coffee Roll uh, uh, once. Were you around when she came to Coffee Roll that time, Jerry? I just can't remember. You don't remember. Anyway, she wanted to set up a mentor. Well, the youth actually asked, could they, we set up a mentor program and team them up one-on-one? And I'm not sure if that happened uh, or not. Uh, but... Uh, what, what the start of that was going to be supper at the Pride House uh, for whoever thought that they could offer their time as a big brother, big sister, you know, kind of kind of uh, mentor. But I'm I'm not sure if that actually happened there or if it exists anywhere. Um, I would say that Gay Straight Alliance should be doing that. That is part of their role. You all should be brought in on a, on a speaking circuit, those who feel comfortable, to have this very conversation that we're having now so that they, they know. I think that I would be profoundly moved if I were 20 and saw the way both of your eyes walled up when you said your experience of somebody saying thank you. Um, I would want to be sensitive to the fact that you're not hearing that enough. I think it would be so, so sad if I ever found out that the young kids today had or have some of the same thoughts I had when I was a kid. I can remember in high school thinking, uh, knowing that I was different, knowing that I was a homo, and I had to look it up in the dictionary because I got called a homo yeah. at school, but I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. And my dictionary said, of the same sex. Yeah. And I still didn't know what that meant. Yeah. But I came to realize, and I believed this as truth at the time, that if I was going to live a fulfilled life and have a sex life, that I was going to have to go to prison because that was the only example of male homosexuality that I knew, was in the prison system. And if kids still have to think that today, that is absolutely wrong. I don't know if they think about the prison system, but I do, I don't think, I don't think we've lost shame and fear. Um, 
Not totally, not completely. It's gotten a lot better, but I, there are pockets of the world, there are places. Look, there are places in the world where it's still legal, where, you can, be, where you can be sentenced to death. Yeah. yeah. Um, but within our own community, within Saskatoon, I would like to think that things are better now. That there's not nearly the level of people skulking around in shame. Maybe that's naive of me, but well, um, when uh, out Saskatoon did a sort of a goodbye um, uh, event at the old place. There was several dozen people who were there. And um, after uh, Rachel spoke and there's a few, you know, designated or people who were asked to speak about the history of, of out and moving into that building with four staff and now moving out with 14. Um, anyway, uh, then it was open mic. And I was surprised at there was a youth um, who had been kicked out of their or his, their home um, because they um, their cult the culture that that he came from did not accept uh, that. And I asked went up to Alham later on and asked, and he said that my parents were trying. But he could certainly understand that the culture they grew up in, you know, that was a real challenge. And then there was another young woman who said she parked in front of the out office at least three times before she could have have the nerve to come up the stairs. And these are these were, you know, younger than 30 by far, Mm. like early Mm. 20s kind of thing. Mm. And they were not the there was at least three stories like that that evening. Mm. It surprised me. I thought we had done the work years ago so that that wouldn't have to happen anymore. But it's still hard. And you know what's ironic is that that work will continue and the younger generations now are the people that are going to continue that work and there will be a day when they will be going to Coffee Row wondering if they've been thanked enough. Um, Wondering if they've done enough. Or if they've done enough. Yeah. Surely you guys realize you've you've done enough. But we can always do more. Of course you can. But you... There's always more to do. Of course there's always more to do, but you carried the torch through a very, very, very dark time. We did. And you need to be... You need to get to the point where you're sick and tired of hearing thank you. That's my wish for you guys. <laughs> you know, that that, that, that will that take happens. a little while. It will take a little while. <laughs> I don't want to... I just get a sense that I sort of... Like when I heard that, I talked about that young man yeah. doing the thank you. Yeah. Like it was in gratitude, and it wasn't exactly that I was saying, "Oh, when when's the next one coming along?" It, no, it, of course okay. not. Yeah, it's just it was there was a lot of power in his Sincerity. acknowledgement. Yeah. No, it's Sincerity. my and they are there. It's when you told the story how physically you changed okay. that I realized okay. that that impact is so unique in your experience and it ought not to be <laughs> it ought right it ought not to be that unique mm-hmm. that's true yeah. it's yeah. not there, it's not right. that i think i don't think you're looking for continual false praise or strokes every single day yeah. um it's just that it ought not to be so unique that one instance visibly, visibly moves you and the floodgates open yeah. it just shouldn't be that way yeah. thank you all three of you for your frank conversation. This is exactly the conversation that I wanted to have. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.
Hey, thanks for listening. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. Sascapes can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, the Sascapes app for Android devices, and all of the other major podcasting apps. Stop by and say hi to us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sascapes. I'd really appreciate it if you stop by iTunes and give us a review or star rating. That boosts the podcast series in the rankings and more people get to hear your stories. Now, if you know an individual, a group, a town that has a story to tell, I'd love to hear from you. Contact me and I'll let you know what's involved in sponsoring your own episode of Sascapes. There's no shortage of stories to be told here under the land of the living skies. So until next time...